0: Welcome to episode 384 of Canada's Pinball Podcast, the only pinball podcast that manages to piss off people on a weekly basis. Oh, my God. I also saw that Nate Shivers unfriended me on Facebook as well. That's the new trend now, everyone. just Let's just all go unfriend each other without any rhyme or reason or personal discussion whatsoever. Not sure what I did to Nate. I've always been a huge fan of his show. But apparently, I continue to be this toxic figure that people just can't stand no let's talk about that on this episode of Canadas Pinball Podcast and the big thing that's hovering over me like a dark cloud is this big Lebowski thing and I bet a lot of you out there are probably saying to yourself enough with this I just can't wait to these games ship and then we're done with it well there is an update in this game story, and that is that DHL tracking numbers have gone out to people, and people are going to receive their Big Lebowski games as early as Monday of next week. So that is right. After three years of sitting in boxes at ARA, we are going to see Big Lebowski unboxings next week. But this isn't the way we wanted this story to go. These aren't the unboxings that we wanted to see. And I think we all agree with that. This isn't a moment of celebration. It's a moment of, I don't even know what the word is, deflation or contempt or frustration. It's a moment that is still a black mark on the entire pinball hobby. And I think everyone would agree with that. Uh, Even though some owners are very excited to get their games, you can't wake up and unbox a big Lebowski that you bought for $12,500 and truly feel great about the fact that you are unboxing a product, a very specific product that someone else paid for, Okay, which leads me to the whole question of what am I doing with this big Lebowski? Am I flipping it? Am I keeping it? I just want to say this, and I, you know me, I'm, I'm transparent on this show, and I'm not going to do what some of you think I'm going to do, which is just like flip this machine for a ton of money. And speaking of that, even though I have that eBay listing that is up, and it is jokingly priced at 8675309 uh, I have received many offers on the game. Now, here's the funny part. I receive a lot of offers on a daily basis for something like $1, $3, $6 for the game. But I also received legitimate offers for this pinball machine of $12,000, $13,000, and a verified legitimate offer of $20,000 for the Big Lebowski Pinball, right? Right. $7,500 profit for doing nothing other than flipping the game. And I'm going to tell you right now, all of you who hate Canada and think he's a, a unethical vulture, I did not accept any of those offers. And it's simply because I don't think that's the right thing to do. And, and I don't. And I don't think that $7,500 or $5,000 or $10,000 Uh, is the right thing to do or is worth it or would make me feel good or would change my life in any way, shape, or form. The only thing it would do, the only thing it would do is put a black mark on my reputation. And we all know, I think all of us collectively can agree on one thing, that if there's one person's reputation who doesn't need further staining in the pinball community, it's my own. So I, I don't think it's the right thing to do. I don't. And I've heard many of you loud and clear say it. I've heard some of you say, F it, just flip it for a profit. Who cares what people think? It's not about what people think of me. It's not about what you, you know other people would do with the game. I think something like this is just a a reflection, if you will, of kind of how you were raised and what your values are. And and I'm not, not flipping it to try to pretend to you that I'm a good guy, but I think those of you who know me and those of you who know me personally. Uh, kind of understand that. I'm not a bad guy. (laughs) I know I sound like Wreck-It Ralph, you know. But that's the thing is I'm not in this to do that. And it's also, look, if there were no, I'm going to say this though, and don't get me wrong, I'm going to say this. If this story was different and this wasn't a, uh, you know, a scenario in which other people were getting burned and robbed, and let's say just, let's say they just made 80 games and that was it. And everyone who ordered one for 12,500 had one of 80 big Lebowski's, and the secondhand market on the game was $20,000, and nobody got burned because the 80 buyers were the original 80 buyers. That would be a different story if I went to go sell it and flip it. It would be, you can't get mad at me for that. But this story is different. There is no way around the realities of the context of these games, and because of that, I have something else planned for this game. Uh, It will be something that I'm working on. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised when you think, sorry, when you see what I do with this game. Uh, It it is not going to involve putting extra money into my pocket, okay? And I'm saying that on air, which means I'm not going to go back on that. And as much as all of us could probably use an extra $7,500, it's not worth it to me. It's not worth it to me. It's not worth it to the community to sh- to do this behavior and and to, uh, you know, sort of, what's the word? Again, I'm like uh, a little bit at loss for words today, which is very rare for a Canadian pinball podcast. Uh, but it, it's just, I don't think we should condone profiteering off of people's pain. And, and that is... All this is, you know, with magic girl, I didn't profiteer off of someone's pain. I bought a girl, I bought a girl, I'm in the, (laughs) I bought a game off of Kim Mitchell. I thought it was gonna work. He was happy, I was happy when I opened the game. Of course I was not happy that magic girl didn't work. Uh, But you know, this is a different situation and I lost money on magic girl. I lost $3,000 on that deal because I just wanted to get rid of a non-working, uh, POS game. It is a POS that game and there's no there's no there's no enjoyment in owning a Magic Girl. All right. So that's the latest on my Lebowski situation. So uh, I think we can put the pitchforks down a little bit and, and, and look at that eBay listing as more of a comical thing and not a real thing. All right. All right. What else is going on in pinball? So something I forgot to mention on the last episode of Canada's Pinball podcast was an issue I was reading with dialed in now this is an interesting one that I haven't really seen before and it's pretty unique to some of these newer games that are using uh, PCs and CPUs to run the games. So apparently, in one of the latest code updates with Dialed In, uh, it is causing some of the older or, or early builds of Dialed In to lag. Okay, so some of the video is lagging, which has led people to uncover that some of the CPUs and the PCs running those games are not powerful enough to uh, to run properly the new code, code update. And people have added, and then they've looked at it, and some of the older versions of the game have more megabytes of RAM and have more powerful CPUs. And so some of the earlier dialed-in owners have had to upgrade their CPUs to properly run the latest code. Now that's that's really, really um, unheard of, right? In this pinball hobby that, you know, games running on PCs might not last the test of time and might not even be able to run uh, the latest versions of the code. So uh, yeah, that's kind of strange. But here's then the question. If you have an older build of dialed in that can't accurately run the new code, Who should have to pay for that upgrade? Should it be Jersey Jack Pinball or should it be you out of pocket? You know, they sold you something uh, that is not truly compatible then with the, the latest code. So I think the cost should go to the manufacturer because I don't think that's kind of fair that there's not a level of consistency across the games themselves. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but sometimes you know it's 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 kind of crazy the short windows of which these companies stand behind their products and then the buyers of these expensive toys are left holding uh you know the cost of maintenance of them or just the the basic cost of keeping them running uh you know when when i think some of that should go to the manufacturer especially when something like the the computer in the in the game isn't up to snuff when it comes to running the the very code that the company releases all right so Speaking of that, I've been just perusing Pinside, and something that I've noticed a lot is more and more, maybe this is just the way Pinside works or the way message boards and forums operate, but something I've been noticing a lot is in in, in many of these threads, uh, they are quickly turning into troubleshooting threads, especially the club threads. I'm seeing a lot of issues people are having with Willy Wonka with diverters and troughs. I'm seeing stuff in the Chicago gaming thread, a lot of issues with Monster Bash. And it just leads me to think that we are now uh, buying very expensive versions of these games. And is the quality control of these games up to where they should be uh, with the amount of money these games are costing? And I don't think so. And, and I think something has to happen. And I think one company, I, and I'm going to say this, I think Stern Pinball, as much as people give them crap, I think overall, when you look at the volume of games that Stern ships in comparison to the volume of games from Jersey Jack or Chicago Gaming or Spooky, Stern games hold up really well. They do. There, I don't see stern club threads turning into troubleshooting threads that often. And you have to look no further than like Wonka or Pirates of the Caribbean or Monster Bash remake threads. And it, and it just seems like there's just a lot of issues out of box with these games. And so here's the other part that I noticed is when you have an issue out of box and you want to go figure out a solution... You need to go the normal channels to get help on your game. So if you buy a game from a distributor and you have an issue, your first correspondence should be with the distributor, not to hound the manufacturer, not to go on to Pinside and complain that nobody got back to you from the manufacturer when you emailed them at, You know, Sunday at 11 p.m. at night. Your distributor is basically your dealership. Right, you bought it from that dealer. They are in constant contact with manufacturers and it's the distributor whose job it is to help you fix your game via the help of the manufacturer. And I don't know why some people try to go around that path and just keep calling up the individuals at the companies who are very busy. You know, someone said, I saw this in the Willy Wonka thread, just keep calling over there till they pick up the phone. What? That no, that is not a good approach uh, to getting customer service on a game. But I also will say this: if you are a pinball company and you are selling brand new games in box to people between the prices of you know six thousand dollars all the way up to twelve thousand five hundred dollars, and you have a customer service person that has a phone number end in email. You need to have a policy within your company. And, and phone numbers are different because people might be out of the office and traveling and, and whatnot on vacation. But all customer service emails to a pinball company should have to be answered within 12 to 24 hours. You just need to have a blanket policy. There is no reason why anybody's email to a company's customer service representative should go ignored for days. And I hear that a lot, that I emailed so-and-so at JJP or this or that, and I didn't get a response for days. I, You can't do that, you can't. You can't ignore your customer base. How many possible emails could be waiting in that person's inbox where they can't get back to them? And if you don't have an answer to that person's question, or if you're waiting on a part or you're still trying to figure out the play field issues, all you got to do is respond, hey, you know, hey, Joe, got your email, Um, thank you for reaching out, we're looking into it, or I'm waiting on that part, or anything. But any communication, just acknowledging receipt of that person's inquiry is going to go a long way in putting people's minds a little bit at peace and just shows them you actually care. And you need to show them you care because people are spending this much money on the games, all right? Man, you know, and there's just there's just a never-ending debate around these playfields lately. It won't go away. Mirko, we need to get answers on this whole thing. I, I, I keep hearing more and more people are pausing on their purchases of Jersey Jack games because of the playfield issues. And what do you think? Do you think... um those people are smart. Do you think they're silly? Do you think this is acceptable? Where with the playfield? I don't. I don't know how you feel good uh, going in on these expensive games when you know there's a potential catastrophic failure that will occur with the playfield. And I do say catastrophic because if your playfield chips and you are a collector that likes to keep your games in good condition, it will drive you mentally crazy. It just will. I couldn't help but laugh at, I need to get this guy on the show. His name's Harry Houdini. He's making all these great mods for Pirates of the Caribbean, and he's been leading the charge in, in his own thread about playfield chipping. And if you haven't read it, go read it. It's like 47 pages long of discussion around the playfield chipping on Pirates of the Caribbean, 46 pages of which are mostly him living in that thread, responding to every single thing someone says. I mean, that's the problem with these threads. We don't need 47 pages of threads to determine that there's an issue with the game. He's also saying, like, people have stopped buying his mods and are backing out of his mods. This is the irony, because they're nervous about the game's quality that they are not sure they're going to keep the game so they they are not buying some of his mods after they placed orders. Now it's kind of ironic, right? Because he's making mods to sell them, yet he's also leading the charge to bring awareness to a potential, you know, huge issue with the game. But I applaud Harry for doing that. I I do. Because he's not just he, he's not just keeping quiet to shill his products. He is he is trying to scream loud enough until we get a solution to this playfield problem. And now that we're seeing it popping up in Willy Wonka, he's he's screaming even louder. And more people need to step up and say, this isn't acceptable and I'm not gonna buy until we have a solution for this. Now, there is no, and I mean zero, none, there has been no official communication from Mirko Playfields, or Jersey Jack pinball on what the cause is of this issue. And until you get official confirmation of what the cause is, then none of the solutions right now, to me, sound like real solutions, right? Putting washers over the the crumpled up playfield or the rippled playfield is not a solution. And here's the other thing that's not a solution. If the manufacturing of these playfields is the source of the problem, right, if it's coming off the assembly line incorrectly, then buying a replacement playfield will do absolutely nothing for you. And Harry talks about this in the thread. It's like, great, you could stockpile dialed in and and Woz playfields and Wonka playfields and pirate playfields, but so what? You might go to put that extra playfield in and do a full playfield swap. Imagine doing a full playfield swap I'm Pirates of the Caribbean, God help you. There, there there, are probably less than 1% of people in this hobby that are qualified to fully playfield swap that game. The other crazy thing too is for some reason, Jersey Jack has stopped offering, he stopped offering playfield protectors as optional things to buy from the factory. Uh, so this, this is a problem that is not gonna go away and we're not gonna stop talking about it because I think it's important to shine a light on the playfield issues that continue to, you know, to to infiltrate the threads of of these these games. Right? Are we seeing it with with Chicago Gaming Company games? I don't know. I think we need to look at the problem across the board and whose games is it affecting, and and we need to start there. We need people to really investigate this. So I, I hope people uh, do that because I'm not going to buy a game that's going to have a crappy playfield no way. I'm going to wait to see if they fix that problem. Okay. So speaking of will this pro, so then what, what does it mean for collector's edition buyers of Willy Wonka, right? Do you feel good? 12,500. You haven't seen the game. There's play field issues. There's airball issues. I mean, the air balls are, are knocking these Oompa Loompas off of, you know, that Oompa Loompa by the camera in, in the Wonka vision. Uh, you know, what's the fix for that? Do you have, they figured out a fix? I mean that Oompa Loompa is just a target, just waiting to be like knocked down. I mean the first, remember the first live stream of this game, the first time they revealed this game to the world, that Oompa Loompa broke off, and 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 to me it's like, who's testing these games? How are they not calling in local tournament players and just paying them a day's wages to just spend ten hours flipping this game? and seeing what happens and doing it like multiple times before the game is like revealed and finally engineered. So I think there's just, uh, you know, there's gotta be a solution in which these games get proper testing. See, I think what happens is this, I think they create mechanisms in which machines are, parts are tested individually, right, for wear and tear. Like this is what happens when like, you know, this targets hit a thousand times or 10,000 times. But I still think you need to test a game when everything is assembled and an actual person is flipping because stuff is gonna happen, random ricochets, stuff you never could you know plan in a controlled environment. I think stuff is going to occur that would only occur during normal game and play, when everything's there. And I think you need to test games like that uh, before putting them in a box. But you know, we'll see. Again, like it just makes it just always makes me feel anxious to be a new buyer and be a guinea pig. And we've said it before. Imagine this scenario. If you simply remove, if you remove the desire to own a limited edition or a collector's edition, right? If you if you remove those from the marketplace, then there is absolutely no need whatsoever to rush in and buy a pinball machine before they've worked all these kinks out and that those two things right it's only those rare limited versions where people have a fear of missing out that's the only reason why you'd want to buy a game like very quickly otherwise it makes total sense to wait to see the code is finalized to see what kind of issues the game has not just from code but also are there any mechanical or any just physical issues with the game that are going to pop up that you should be aware of? Is the game going to be a complex nightmare to keep running, right? I mean, how many of you out there, even though you keep hearing what a great game Pirates of the Caribbean is, how many of you out there are very fearful of getting one because you don't want to spend every other day lifting the hood on the game and fixing it? I mean, I think a lot of people out there, uh, even though the game is being to high heavens are are, are like, I don't want to touch it. I don't want a game like that, that it's just, yeah, it's great when it's working, but to keep it working is going to be a nightmare for me. All right. All right. Yeah, man. Wow. We're talking about quality. We're talking about reliability on this episode of Canada's Pinball Podcast. Anything else going on in the pinball world? Look, uh, we are in mid-August. Uh, Today is Brenda's birthday, all right? That is why we had a little Rock the Boat beginning to this episode of Canada's Pinball Podcast. If you've ever been to an Irish wedding and that song comes on, it it is kind of spectacular what they do during Rock the Boat. If you don't go to an Irish wedding, all you have to do, I think you have to watch episode four or five of this season of Dairy Girls to see what happens when Rock the Boat comes on. It's pretty incredible. All right, let me do this. Let me read a few of your emails and then we'll call it a day because I gotta get to work. New business pitch. All right, I got I love emails like this. This is from Nelson Rhyme. And the subject is you're wrong in all capitals. It says, hey Chris, I know the point you're trying to make about P3 in David Busters, but the way you're challenging the term groundbreaking is just wrong. P3. In DNB is groundbreaking in fact that's exactly what it is it's the first time pinballs of any kind are in DNB exactly like when the first shovel is stuck into the ground for a groundbreaking ceremony at a new construction site that is the first action of a new development of some kind any kind This first action need not be particularly impactful. All right, you know, Nelson, look, I think you're wrong, my friend. You can't tell me that using the phrase groundbreaking in the context of putting a pinball machine in Dave and Buster's is accurate by your definition that anything new happening is breaking ground. Because if you just do something for the first time, it's breaking ground. And let me give you another example. If I don't floss <laughs> and then I floss the first time, is that a groundbreaking moment of my dental hygiene? I mean, you're basically just saying that. If it's the first time something has happened somewhere, it's groundbreaking. So uh, let's use another scenario. If, um, if McDonald's starts selling... A lobster roll in one location. Is that a groundbreaking move for McDonald's? And my point is this, is that nobody, nobody in the communications industry would ever use that kind of hyperbole to describe what is happening here at Dave & Buster's. But he goes on to say the following. I think uh, you're thinking of earth shattering when discussing groundbreaking, but they're different things. I agree. That two P3s in Dave & Buster's is far from earth shattering, but I actually think it's kind of an important development. Time will tell, but if it works and DNB places P3 all over the country, it's going to be a big deal, but it can never, ever be groundbreaking again because we're past that now. So it's just semantics, but you're wrong and frustrating has an R behind the F2. And there's no L in both. And take it easy, Nelson. Nelson, thank you for explaining to me how to articulate and enunciate frustrating and both. Both. Well, Nelson, here's the deal. And I'm just gonna, you know what? I, I did this on my F podcast and I'm gonna do it again. This whole thing about Dave and Buster's being an important move to get pinball in it, I I, I think so many of you are being so inane on so many levels. And I'm just going to go off on a little tangent right now and remind all of you fools out there of one thing. And I'm calling you fools right now. For some reason, people who like pinball like to think that pinball is of greater importance in modern society than it really is because people have wishful thinking around the product itself they think pinball is a something that should be everywhere something that like all kids should play something that should be expanded into as many environments as possible and that's great but now put yourself in the shoes of a & busters manager Put yourself in the shoes of a Dave & Busters executive in charge of profits and sales and getting as many people through the door of a Dave & Busters. And people who think that putting pinball in Dave & Busters will equal more traffic to Dave & Busters or more revenue to Dave & Busters are dead wrong. And I know, you see, here's the thing though. It's only people on pin side that are like, well, I would definitely go to my local Dave and Buster's if there were more Dave and you know, pinball at Dave and Buster's locations. And when my kids are running around playing like flappy birds, I'd have something to do. I get it, but you have to understand you're looking at it through the lens of you're a pinball fanatic on a pinball form. And you're the kind of guy that wants to see pinball everywhere. But you think the country's largest arcade chain, you think they don't know what their customers want? Do you really think that? Do you think that all of their market research, all of their data and analytics has has misguided them in, in choosing the types of devices that attract people and that make the most, wait for it, make the most money? And that is what they're looking for, quick, entertainment games that make them a lot of money that kids and adults alike will will swipe their damn Dave and Buster's cards over and over and over again so like if Brenda walks up to like a claw machine and wants to win a Buzz Lightyear that's inside the claw machine and it's a buck a play she's not going to think twice about going over and over and over again and her games over in like 30 seconds do you really think they want Tournament players from the pinball scene in New York City or anywhere else to sit on a Walking Dead for a half hour, trying to set the Grandmaster score and get to the Wizard mode, and then what happens when that machine breaks? Huh? You think Dave and Buster's really wants to have pinball machines that are broken down and providing, uh, you know, less than, uh, you know, a less than normal gaming experience to its patrons? No, they don't. They don't. I, I, I don't under, and, and and this whole notion that if we can get pinball back into Dave and Buster's like that means something. If look, the only scenario in which I could see it happening is if there's some like back room or side room where they put a few machines. And so what if that happens? I mean, I, I just think a lot of you out there, you, you don't get it. You don't get the way Dave and Buster's is set up. You don't get the kinds of games that operators at Dave and Buster's want. And and if you look at the clientele for Dave and Buster's, it's not pinball. Okay, we can look. We can keep having this debate. We can keep having this debate uh, to the you know to the cows come home, but ultimately, my I I have faith that Dave and Buster's marketing department knows a lot more about what will work in their own locations than people on pin side do. All right, okay. We're gonna look. Look, the other question could just be: Is Canada? Do you think? Do you want Jerry to succeed? uh, I want all pinball companies to succeed, and I, I think, as I said, Jerry has the only kind of pinball product that works at a Dave and Buster's. I, I I think the Heads Up game is a lot of fun. I think it's the only kind of pinball that works in that kind of environment. It would it make sense to have, imagine Pirates of the Caribbean at a Dave and Buster's, right? Case closed. All right, let's go some other emails. Uh, let's see. Do do do. I got an email from Matthew, uh, Matthew Rattray. He says, TBL, good call. Hey, Chris, hope you're well. I want to say well done on securing your big Lebowski. You should not feel guilty about your purchase. This saga reminds me of the issues when Bumper Pinball in Australia took money for JJP's WAz. And we never received the Emerald City editions here in Australia. Jack resold the numbered Emerald City machines. For those that got the machines that were meant for Australia, I'm sure they didn't feel guilty about having machines that were meant for someone else. We weren't offered the opportunity to repurchase these machines. It wasn't until years later, with much fighting, the Waz Rescue editions were made. My point is... If you didn't buy it, someone else would have, enjoy your machine. Yeah, I mean that was debacle in Australia it was 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 crazy too. I just, you know Matt, I just think that all of these situations in which people paid for something and then didn't get it, and then their games got sold to somebody else, it, it happens all the time. It, it also happened with Highway Pinball. When Andrew Highway started selling new money games and, by, and those people were bypassing old orders that had already paid in full. It's the same exact situation. Um, it, but no matter who does it, no matter when it happens, it always 100% sucks. And I, I just I don't want that to happen in pinball. All right, let's see what else we got. I think that might be it on my Gmail. So if you have anything at canadapinball at gmail.com, hit me up. Let's talk some pinball. Any final thoughts I have on this episode of Canada's Pinball Podcast? Well, I'll just say this. I'll just say this. Jurassic Park, it's shipping. It's a great thing. Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle, it's shipping. People are enjoying the game. It's a great thing. Willy Wonka LEs are going out the door. It's a great thing. I hope the quality and everything within that game holds up, and I hope Jersey Jack addresses any issues people are having early on. I'd be a little nervous about going in on a collector's edition right now, knowing that not that much time has eclipsed to catch all the issues and make engineering solves. And I also think they need to to do a better job of communicating what problems they have found and what solutions they are doing. Because I don't like the lack of communication from these companies when it comes to issues with their games, okay? It's much better to be transparent and tell us what's going on than to try and deal with it one-to-one with customers, but knowing that other customers might experience the same problem, but you haven't said anything. Uh, you know, Deep Root is a couple months away. It's amazing. It's amazing. We're, we're, we're gonna about to see the entrance of a whole other player in pinball that has been extremely quiet that is going to try and steal our imaginations and give us the pinball magic that I know all of you want. The Big Lebowski is, a, is, is, a, is just a SHIT show. It, it, is, it is something that I think a lot of people are just hoping these games come and go. And that this drama goes away. And, and I agree. I think it's nothing but a dark cloud over the hobby. And the big, the big thing is this. This is a thing that you know people have been saying. And I kind of agree. Is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? And I don't just mean like, is it worth it that we, you know, are so excited about this game or that we want to play this game or that we love the theme? Is the game even worth it? Is it that good? It, 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 the code is, 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 is Spartan. I mean, I've heard from people that have played a lot of The Big Lebowski. And, and here's the thing, too, is when you play it for the first few times, you are going to be in a honeymoon phase about how cool it is because you're in the world of The Big Lebowski. But but if you're used to playing modern Stern games, modern Jersey Jack games with 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 nice code, you are going to be sorely disappointed, I hear, in what the big Lebowski will bring to the table code-wise. It's very, very barren, and it doesn't have a lot of depth. You know, someone said to me, Chris, if you put a big Lebowski next to your Batman 66 in a week or two, you are are going to get extremely bored of one of them, and you know which one it is, and you're going to want to get rid of it. So I was like, oh, like, F, that. Like, that stinks, and... And sometimes I think I take for granted and a lot of us take for granted all of the amazing games that Jack and 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 Stern and you know Spooky and Chicago Gaming all these great games they've given us that are extremely fun a lot of them have extremely deep code sets that allow us to enjoy these games for months if not years which is incredible. Don't you don't normally find that in a lot of the 90s games. And so we should be thankful for that. And maybe we should stop glorifying to no end games that have done nothing but cause people pain and anguish and also games that are incomplete, games that don't have spare parts, games that don't have any customer service. That's the funny part about all this. I mean, we complain about like, well, JJP or Stern didn't get back to my email on Sunday night, but at least we know there's a company with people working in customer service that will get back to you, and there is no Dutch pinball, there is no company, there is nobody who's going to pick up the phone when you have an issue with the game. There is nobody who's going to like take care of like a spare part you need. Who's going to do it? Who's going to do it? There's, it's only going to be so long that CoinTaker even wants to have their hands dirty once they get people their games. I mean, it just this thing is it's just not going to end the way people think. You are not going to ride off into the sunset with an amazing pinball machine that is going to give you years of enjoyment. It's going to break, and you're going to have a hard time fixing it, and you're going to wish it had better code. I mean, I I can't wait. I can't wait. It's going to happen. But that being said, I I think you'll be pleasantly surprised with with what I do with the game. It's not going to be some jerky, flip it for a profit thing. All right, so all you other pinball podcasters out there, you can stop speculating. I just told you what I'm doing. Uh, all right, now I need to figure out what to do with this Pirates of the Caribbean Collector's Edition. If you want one, I'm going to tell you right now, this thing's fully loaded. If you want like a, a, a mint Pirates of the Caribbean Collector's Edition, uh, you can have it tomorrow. $13,500, it's yours. I'm not even making any money. That's exactly what I was going to pay for it to put it in my home. Um, but I, I've just I've just had like some second thoughts and, and I just, I don't know if I have... Really, the room for two of them, and and in full transparency, I I kind of would rather spend that money right now on my honeymoon with Brenda in Japan that we're going to at the end of October for the Rugby World, sorry, Rugby World Cup. Oh man, long morning. Anyway, everyone, this has been episode three hundred and eighty-four of Canada's Pinball Podcast. If you want to unfriend me on Facebook, just go do it. You know, or drop me a note. Be like, you know what, it's over it's over. The love affair we never had, it's over. But Zach Manny, I will never unfriend you, brother. Never. Even though you'll never let me on the show. I get it. You're not going to get that trippy, man. It's conflict of interest. No one's going to vote. It's hard to vote for that. It's your thing. And you get to, you're already going to win for, for the YouTube channel. That's it. You got it. You got one in the bag. Don't go for two. Don't make me start a YouTube channel. I'll do it don't make me do it you do Zach don't make me stream games and give every game an a or B plus I could do it I could do it don't make me do it love you guys later so I like to know when you got the notion said I'd like to know when you got the notion rock the ball don't rock the ball rock the ball I don't